Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast. I'm your host, Gene Ross, joined, as always, by Josh Julia. And Josh, you know, you look at the calendar here. We're, we're early in November. There is only three regular season games left for Ohio State. The season is just is, is really flying by. I feel like we just started. We were just doing our, our Big Ten previews not too long ago, and now the, the year is coming to an end pretty quickly. It's, it's kind of sad. It is. It's tragic, man. I, I, I don't want to be reminded. I don't feel like we've gotten enough Ohio State football this year but hopefully we have what four to five to six more games left if things go according to plan but uh yeah we're we're definitely in the home stretch and Ohio State I think will be eventually tested and I think we're possibly more interested in what they are now than we were in the past so plenty to talk about yeah for sure I guess if we're looking at it here you know Ohio State has a minimum of of at least four games left we're hoping that's uh five or six um, if things do go according to plan, but nonetheless, um, a good amount to talk about. But you know, you you say how you know we we are c- kind of we were upset. We were upset that we we're we're running out of Ohio State football. We were upset last week after having watched Ohio State football, um, or, or I should say this past weekend in there in a less than stellar win against Northwestern. But Josh, we did a thing this past weekend where we we recorded earlier than we usually do. We recorded pretty much right after the game was over. We usually record on Sunday mornings after the entire college football slate has gone past and I think our you know our emotions and our feelings about that game may have been slightly different or at least I know mine were after the whole day has concluded because you know you look at that schedule a 21 to 7 win over Northwestern obviously wasn't ideal and not what you're you're looking for as an Ohio State fan but you look at what happened around the rest of the college football world, and I think Ohio State's pretty happy with just pulling away with the W because you look around, Clemson got you know pretty thoroughly dominated by Notre Dame. Alabama dropped a game in overtime to LSU, which you know effectively ends their season unless some crazy stuff happens. Um, Tennessee was was pretty thoroughly dominated by Georgia in that big matchup. So. Uh, and, and in addition to all that, you know, uh, Michigan was losing at halftime to Rutgers, and if, if Rutgers' quarterback was was throwing to the correct color jerseys in the second half, maybe that game would have gone a different way uh, as well. So you look across the board here, all the teams that Ohio State is competing with for for what their ultimate goal is, and I think if you're a fan of the Buckeyes, you have to be at least pretty pleased to walk away with another another quality win. You know, it's not it wasn't like the game was really in doubt. Like Ohio State wasn't really in danger of losing the game; it just wasn't really as pretty as we wanted it to be. But you know, at, at this point in the season, especially in the condition it was I think you just have to be happy to pick up your W keep that zero in the in the loss column and keep things moving yeah so it's twofold for me right I I don't feel much better about the performance um you know 
as this sort of just one game sample size, but you have to feel a little bit better about the fact that Ohio state still has a zero in the loss column. And at the end of the day, that is all that matters. That's what matters, you know, moving forward in the CFP rankings and an eventual, you know, hopeful march toward a championship. So yeah, you know, I came down a little bit, I, I, I would say, but still a lot to, I think, break down and sort of digest from the performance itself against Northwestern. But yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Look, Northwestern, or I'm sorry, Notre Dame is now ranked. Um, and, and they really took it to Clemson. That was the game that probably jumped out to me the most. And, uh, you know, Ohio State beat them by a couple of scores. Notre Dame beat Clemson by 21, transitive property, this, that, and the other. You know what I'm saying? But um, all that matters is win and survive. And Ohio State found a way to do that with probably their C game, their C minus game, nowhere near their best. And so you have to hang your hat on that, move forward, adjust, and clean some things up and hope to get this thing going in the right direction, the direction that we think, I, I believe that we both think things will go. And that starts this weekend against Indiana. Yeah, I, I think there's obviously still a lot of things Ohio State has to clean up from from a game like that. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, um, I, I do feel a little bit better just about the the general landscape of things. I know that the obvious, you know, the comparison all year has been Ohio State versus Michigan. If, you know, Michigan would have come out last weekend and, and, and like put up 70 points on Rutgers and looked really dominant. Once again, maybe the, the talk would be different, even with whatever everything else that happened across the country. But, you know, both of these teams have kind of had their ups and downs throughout the year. And I don't think we'll really get a full, complete answer as to which of these teams is actually better until they meet on the field in the, that uh, regular season finale. Um, but before that, we do have... And Gene, a, real yeah. quick too, the... I, I saw it and this was, gosh, I probably saw this Monday of this week, but I guess apparently 80 mile an hour winds were registered in the Chicago, Illinois area. So if there's one thing that you can sort of point to during that game, it was Ohio State's inability to throw, inability to execute in the passing game. And I thought that was you know, beyond odd, you're talking, uh, I don't know, tornado, hurricane weather, 80 mile an hour winds. Now, probably a very small blip on the radar, but it does make me buy in a little bit more, I guess, to the struggles and just what Ohio State was up against. So I thought that was interesting as well. Yeah, it was, it was just impossible to pass the football in that game. And, you know, I, I think that's, you know, that adds to your run game struggles as well. When Northwestern knows you physically cannot throw the football and they could put nine guys in the box, I think it's going to make it a lot tougher to run the football. And obviously we do want to see, you know, the, the, the run game for Ohio State has been a problem for a couple weeks now, but I think it was made even tougher by the fact that it was so predictable that Ohio State was kind of forced to run the football. So maybe those issues in, in better weather wouldn't have looked as bad. You know, I, I think that the, you know, those excuses in this game are definitely justified. You know, there were a lot of people last year that wanted to blame you know some of the the shortcomings in the loss to Michigan on that weather but I don't I don't think the cold really had much of an impact there you know the Ohio State's offense still looked pretty good in that game it was just that their defense couldn't stop a nosebleed but in this game I, I think using the the high winds as an excuse is, is certainly justified and there's still you know there's things that have to be cleaned up outside of that but I, I think that you know Maybe we shouldn't panic um, based on the results of that game because there were a handful of games across the country that were in similar weather and had sort of similar results so <coughs> Maybe not um, basing all of our, our judgments on this Ohio State offense on just that one game. But they will have an opportunity to turn things around um, against a, a couple of opponents here that maybe could test them in some ways, but should be more opportunities for Ohio State to figure some things out ahead of that big Michigan game. The first one here, obviously coming up this week that we will be talking about, are the Indiana Hoosiers, 
Um, Josh, this was not a team that we were particularly high on during our, our preseason previews, and we seem pretty justifiably so in doing that. Uh, they began the year 3-0, so it may, maybe they looked like they were doing something, but um, since then, the Hoosiers have lost six in a row. It makes their season opening win over Illinois make less and less sense by the day. Um, they're just one and five in conference play with that lone win over the Illini. They have losses to Nebraska and Rutgers in there as well. Uh, just things you can't afford to be doing if you want to be a team that's going to make a bowl game. Uh, in their last time out, Indiana was pretty thoroughly beaten down by Penn State. They allowed nearly 500 yards of offense while putting up less than 200 yards of offense themselves, which is really just you know a microcosm of how this season has gone for Indiana. Offensively, they rank 11th in the conference, scoring 23.3 points per game. They're actually fifth in the Big Ten in passing yards, but they're dead last in rushing yards by a pretty healthy margin. They're averaging just a paltry 78.7 yards per game on the ground, over 20 less yards than the next worst team. Um, defensively, they're once again dead last in the conference, allowing 32.2 points per game. Worse in the Big Ten at defending the pass, 11th in defending the run. Simply not a lot to love about this Indiana team. I think this is a season that they will, you know, moving forward, that they'll they'll probably just want to forget. Uh, I'm kind of wondering what the hell happened in Bloomington, Gene, you know, were 2019 and 2020 fluke years? Is that the way we should look at them now? Because Tom Allen was 24 and 21 at IU entering the 2021 season, but they have won just five out of 21 games since. So we know that they've lost guys. They lost Michael Penix Jr. midway through last season, although he was not playing well at that time at all, really. And other guys have missed time due to injury, but I don't feel like they've had this insane roster turnover. They're just awful now. You know, the defense has taken an enormous step back from those, uh, you know, highlight years under Tom Allen. And they quite simply have not figured out the quarterback station, I, quarterback situation. I think those are the two biggest, you know, factors going into their struggle is just not having that exciting, air it out, mobile threat quarterback that Michael Penix Jr. was. And then the defense, you know, we'll get into that. But Tijuan Mullen, um, Micah McFadden, guys like that that they had in 2019 and 2020, they were a pretty good defensive unit. They've taken just, like I said, an enormous step back. You mentioned some of the stats, and we'll we'll get into more of them. But, um, yeah, Tom Allen has really run up against it, and he's tried to supplement with transfers and things of that nature, but it just it hasn't worked out. And you're right, that Illinois game seems more and more odd as the season progresses. Yeah, yeah, you you talked about it. Like this just seems to be a, a completely different program from the one that went six and two in that twenty twenty pandemic season. You know, after back to back winning years and and bowl appearances under Tom Allen in twenty nineteen and twenty twenty, they went just two and ten last year. Now they're looking at potentially three and nine this year. Um, now in his seventh year at Indiana, Allen is just twenty nine and thirty eight overall with an zero and three record in bowl games. Uh, it seemed for a bit like this program was moving in the right direction, like you said, but all that momentum is now gone fully. I think the dreams of nine Windiana have faded real fast. Um, and with a recruiting class that currently ranks 84th in the country in 2023, uh, I think you got to think time's ticking a little bit here on Tom Allen. He's a guy that players really seem to love. The athletic department really seems to like him. The fans seem to like him as well. But at what point do you do you step in here and stop the skid? I feel like we've been talking about this a lot with a couple of Big Ten coaches here, but... I think, you know, at least with guys like Kirk Ferentz and Pat Fitzgerald that we've, we've talked about recently, those guys have had really long periods of sustain, of sustained success 
Whereas Tom Allen, like, really just had those two years, and one of them was a COVID year where really not – I don't really take much of anything from that season. So I don't really know how, how good of a coach he is. He's lost a couple of good assistants, and his, his units on both sides have struggled as a result. And so I don't know, you know, how much longer he has there. I haven't really heard any rumblings of him, you know, his, his seat being hot. But it's not – I don't think this program is heading in the, in the right direction currently as it looked like it was just a few years ago. A couple of two, three win seasons back to back, just not going to get it done, whether you're going through a transitional period or not. Yeah, he had a couple of good seasons. I think he is a respected guy, not just by his players within the program, but other coaches in the Big Ten. Excuse me. But that's the problem with the Big Ten is uh, the middle part of it, you know, is kind of so so vast right now and so large. And then Indiana is just treading water and now falling back to the pack to where they're now currently near the bottom. And it's only going to get worse, in my opinion, with the assumed, you know, kind of additions of UCLA and USC. So as the conference gets bigger, you can't be getting worse. You can't be taking steps back again, in my opinion. So I think they definitely need to evaluate this program. You know, the recruiting hasn't been great by any means, but they brought in a guy like Dasan McCalla, who we're going to talk about, and they were really aggressive in the transfer portal, and it has led to arguably worse results. You know, they brought in a guy like Connor Bazelak, who we'll talk about, had a little bit of success in the SEC. They brought in Shivers at running back. He was an Auburn guy, wide receivers across the board, guys on the defense as well, and If you want to compare, it might be apples to oranges, but compare them to Michigan State. Michigan State has taken a huge step back this year, but they had the one year in which things really worked out. So maybe there's hope for that program moving forward, whereas Indiana tried it and it has been a huge failure. And if you can't get those guys in via the transfer portal and you're struggling to recruit, then I don't know where the progress is sort of visible moving forward for Tom Allen. I think that's going to be really difficult for him and why I think Indiana definitely has to take a look at things. Yeah, and you know, in addition to Tom Allen not having the the long-term success of guys like Pat Fitzgerald and Kirk Ferentz, he also has to play, you know, the majority of his football games in the Big 10 East where as we know the the cream of the crop and the the top tier programs, the Ohio State's, the Michigan's, the Penn State's of the world also reside certainly that, does not help. Yeah, no, it makes things that much harder. So that being said, let's let's take a look at this year's Indiana team. We'll start on the offensive side of the ball here. Um, couldn't be much worse than last year. The Hoosiers' offense was was pretty putrid last season. The Hoosiers had just four touchdown passes in nine conference games total all year last season. Um, offense coordinator Nick Sheridan was fired and replaced by Walt Bell. Um, this is a guy that spent the last three years as head coach at UMass, and he went 2-23 and in that time. So kind of interesting hire, but... He's a guy with some prior experience calling plays at both Maryland and Florida State. So Power 5 programs, uh, the Indiana offense has at least been marginally better than it was last year. Um, the passing game has actually been okay this year, and that's been led by Missouri transfer Connor Bazelak at quarterback. Um, after throwing for over 2,300 yards in each of his last two seasons with the Tigers, Bazelak is on pace to put up career highs through the air. Um, in eight games this season, he's passed for nearly 2,100 yards with 12 touchdowns and nine picks. But he has not been as efficient as he has been prior in his career. His his completion percentage has dropped over 10% from his Mizzou averages. Um, and he did miss the game against Penn State with an apparent injury. 
Tom Allen said earlier this week that he will return and start against Ohio State, but it does appear like there's a little bit of a, of a quarterback controversy going on here. There's a couple of other guys in the mix, a guy like Jack Tuttle that we've seen previously at Indiana, got some snaps. Um, Tom Allen said he liked what he saw from, from redshirt sophomore Dexter Williams. Um, Williams didn't pass the ball particularly well. He threw two picks in just 11 attempts, but I think they like his ability as a runner. Um, so I, I think it'll return to Bazelak running the show at quarterback, but Williams could provide a more you know mobile option in certain packages. Uh, the receiver room in Indiana looks a lot different than it has the past few years. You know, guys, mainstays like like Ty Freifogel and Peyton Hendershot are gone. Um, this year's leading receiver is JUCO transfer Cam Camper. Um, he does lead the team with 46 receptions for 569 yards and a pair of scores, um, but Camper was declared out for the year after seven games with a knee injury. So really, the rest of this pass-catching pass core is made up almost entirely of transfers. Um, Emery Simmons came over from UNC as well as running back Josh Henderson. Um, Henderson, despite being a running back, features pretty pom- prominently in the passing game as their third leading pass catcher. Um, DJ Matthews is in the second season with the program after transferring over from Florida State. Uh, Anderson Kobe is here after a year at Tennessee. So a pretty eclectic group of guys put together from all over the place. Um, Camper had been the star, but it, it's a group that's been, you know, Okay, overall, missing him is obviously a huge blow for them, but they've got a, a bunch of guys with experience at miscellaneous Power 5 programs, so the receiving core is fine. Um, the running game, however, has been less than stellar. Indiana hasn't had a good ground game for really as long as I can remember. Um, I did go back and look. The last time the Hoosiers had a running back draft in the NFL was Jordan Howard back in 2016. Um, so it, it's been a while since, since Indiana's really done much of anything on the ground. Um, this year's leader of the group is Sean Shivers. He's in his fifth collegiate season after spending his first four years of his career at Auburn. Leads the team with 399 rushing yards and four scores, but he is averaging less than four yards a carry. Um, the aforementioned Henderson is behind him with 286 yards and three scores, uh, with a little bit better 4.5 yards per carry. Uh, nothing really to be scared of on the ground from Indiana. They're averaging less than 80 rushing yards per game as a team. Maybe that's why Allen likes the added running threat of a guy like Williams at quarterback. I think he's just looking for really any way to improve this ground game. Um, as you can imagine, with numbers like that running the football, the offensive line for Indiana has not been stellar either. They rank dead last in the nation, not just in the Big Ten, but in the nation in average line in the yards. Um, 129th have 131 teams in stuff rate per Football Outsiders. They've allowed 28 sacks this year. That ties them for 113th nationally. Um, they returned three stars from last season on that group, but pretty much all of them switched positions in an effort to change things up, and it, and it simply hasn't worked. So, um this offense is, is kind of out of sorts right now. This is a good offense for Ohio State to play um, at, the, at this time in the season. The Buckeyes have been good against the run. Shouldn't be much of a challenge in that department here. Ohio State needs to work on its pass defense. Indiana can at least throw the ball a little bit while not maybe testing them so much that they have a chance to really, you know, gouge them heavily in the in the passing game. I think it's a good good area, a good gray area here for, for this Indiana offense to test this Ohio State defense. Um, I think it'd be nice to get guys like Cam Brown back this week, potentially. Um, we learned Jordan Hancock was held out this past weekend as a precaution with the wet field, so he should be back as well. So maybe some reinforcements coming in that secondary. Um, and it could be another big day for a guy like J.T. Malowal against this Indiana offensive line that hasn't exactly been good. So not, not the best offense Ohio State has played this year. Certainly not the worst, but um, not one that should give this Ohio State defense all that much trouble with with what they've been they've had going on with the injuries with the the uncertainty at quarterback pretty much all of it. Um, it it's been you know it's not been great. I'm with you, and it's funny that you brought up Jordan Hancock being held out. I understand why <clears throat> Ohio State did it, but it's funny to hear that he was held out as a precaution due to the wet conditions. I wish that 
I could uh, have days off work if it was uh, windy or rainy. But uh, again, probably the smart call, not a jab against him. If anything, I want to see him more on the field. But getting back to Indiana, pretty uh, evident now how important Michael Penix Jr. was to this program. You know, he was a a big loss for them. And I I mentioned last year he was not great. At the time of his injury, he had thrown four touchdowns, seven interceptions, completed 54% of his passes. But you go back to 19 and 20, he was really the engine that made this offense go. And he had some skill guys, too, uh, primarily on the outside, then Peyton Hendershot as well. And so it seems like they are missing playmakers. And that's the big kind of overarching theme here. Bazelak did transfer in from Missouri and he wasn't bad there. You know, you mentioned 2,300 yards last year, the previous two seasons, I'm sorry. So nearly 5,000 passing yards in those two seasons as a starter, 23 touchdowns to 17 interceptions, nothing great, but he also completed 66% of his passes. So he was efficient enough and he had some, really good games. I I don't recall exactly what LSU was going through in 2020. I know they weren't at their height, but in that game, 2020 against LSU, he threw for 400 yards and four touchdowns. If I'm not mistaken, I was looking at some of his past performances earlier, just has not gotten it going uh, in Bloomington, right? All of a sudden he can't hit a sand from, uh, couldn't hit sand from a camel. I butchered that. with his 54.9% completion rate, either banged up or injured against Penn State. You said he was held out due to injury. I was reading some of the message board stuff and a couple different articles. It sounds like maybe they were looking to bench him in favor of Jack Tuttle, but lo and behold, Jack Tuttle gets the start against Penn State, injured, and so Bazelak is back again. Um, I, I don't think that he's done anything in his past 10 to 12 games across a couple of seasons to really instill any sort of fear in the Buckeyes. So another game where Ohio State's defense is not going to face the most proficient passing attack, but it is a step up from Northwestern. So we'll see if they can do anything. The transfers at running back in Shivers and Henderson. Shivers was definitely the more accomplished of the two. He put up some stats at Auburn but has been the opposite of efficient for IU. You mentioned it, 3.8 yards per carry. Can't get it going. Henderson did very little at UNC, actually, but he has been the much more efficient back, has the same, basically the same number of total yards and one more touchdown than Shivers on nearly 50 fewer touches. So he's doing some things back there. He's a dual threat. He has the, I'm sorry, 18 receptions, but for 232 yards. So 13 yards of pop there. Leads the team in six touchdowns. I think that they, I think that Indiana will continue to use both of those backs in tandem, but efficiency is going to remain an issue unless they change the offensive line, right? Which you hit on. So, uh, again, not what we saw against Northwestern, where they leaned on Evan Hall, who's a hundred yard guy, seemingly week in and week out. I think Ohio State's run defense will have more success like we've seen throughout nine games. They've been really, really strong against the run. I anticipate we'll see the same thing this weekend. On the outside, it was a huge blow to lose Cam Camper. That Juco transfer, at the time of his injury, was one of the more productive wide receivers in the Big Ten. He did not have the touchdown numbers, but I think through six games, he was top five in receiving yards per game. So 
a big blow to them, a bummer for him too. a Juco guy who was lightly recruited, did not have a bunch of offers coming out of Juco, even though he clearly had the ability to make plays and do some things with the ball. But they're left with Simmons or no Simmons. I'm sorry. And Matthews. DJ Matthews has been in the program a couple of years, and I thought that he was maybe coming on last year. He only played in five games, put up some numbers. He's been banged up, returns this year, had a 100-yard game against Illinois week one, but just 27 yards on eight catches in his last four games. So his production has fallen off, while Simmons is sort of on the ascent. He got hot for a few weeks in early to mid-October. Maybe he can make some plays, but... You know, I don't think you can really understate the importance of Cam Camper. He was a big body and, like I said, 80 yards per game through five or six. A huge loss for them, especially because they don't have a Peyton Hendershot or a big body tight end now. It's just Matthews and Simmons as their primary pass catching options. And the other thing I did want to touch on, the offensive line. You brought it up. Very poor blocking up front. We've both talked about 79 yards rushing per game, 2.6 yards per carry. <clears throat> Sorry, I keep coughing. And those 28 sacks put them at T113 in the country for sacks given up. So when you can't protect Bayslack, that probably contributes to his lower completion percentage. And then the running backs just can't get it going. So it has been an uphill climb. They have been on the struggle bus and it's it's probably a good thing for Ohio State, right, to see an opponent that can do both but hasn't done either very well. Like, this is a game for the defense to redial in before they go up against a Maryland and a Michigan. With better offenses, I think we'll see Ohio State perform very well on that side of the ball this weekend. Yeah, it's certainly not an offense with, you know, the, the severe limitations of, like, an Iowa or a Northwestern, but... Um, like you said, not not a group that you're really super worried about playing. I think they'll do enough to maybe test Ohio State in some areas, but I think that's a good test with you know a team like Maryland coming up, and then of course Michigan. Um, so I, I think that's a good matchup for Ohio State here. Um, on the flip side, we we talked about Ohio State having a, a lackluster offensive performance this past week. Um, as long as the weather holds up this weekend, then I don't think that should really be the case this weekend because, as, as we previously touched on, this Indiana defense is one of the worst in the conference. They're allowing 32.2 points per game. That's 114th in the country. Um, surprisingly bad against the pass with the guys they have in the secondary, but I, I think the real story here is that they've had a, a tough time replacing defensive leader Micah McFadden. He was um, the Hoosiers' top tackler each of the last three seasons, a true leader in the middle of the defense. Um, and with the linebacker now off to the NFL, uh, the team was looking to fifth-year senior Cam Jones to be the leader. Uh, Jones was off to a great start. He had a Big Ten high, 54 tackles in five games, but he's missed each of the last four games with a foot injury. Doesn't seem like he'll be back this weekend. Um, senior linebacker Aaron Casey has been one of the team's best defenders overall in in Jones's absence. Um, he leads a team with 69 tackles, nice, um, a team high nine tackles for loss and two forced fumbles. Um, Miami transfer Bradley Jennings has started at the mic in Jones's absence. He's got 51 total tackles and five pass breakups on the year, so a pretty pretty solid duo at linebacker. Um, former Ohio State commit Desan McCullough has been a bit of a wild card uh, for this team, playing like a linebacker, defensive end sort of hybrid. He's got a team-high four sacks despite not officially being listed as a starter, so he's definitely a player to keep an eye on in this game. Uh, that secondary that we alluded to before, um, while not 
quite performing to expectations, does have some dudes back there. You mentioned Tiwan Mullen earlier. He's a name many people will recognize in this Hoosier backfield. He has five picks and 23 career pass breakups over his four-year stint uh, in Bloomington. He's a former first-team All-American at corner, very good player. Um, His running mate at corner, Jalen Williams, missed a few games but is now back and healthy. Uh, Those two are probably the second-best cornerback duo Ohio State's seen this year outside of Penn State. Um, also elsewhere in that secondary, Devin Matthews and Bryant Fitzpatrick are a pair of seniors who start at the safety spots. Both come in with a ton of experience. Matthews has 46 tackles and a pick. Fitzgerald has 48 tackles and a pick. So nearly identical production between the two. And then up front, uh, much of Indiana's pass rush comes from non-traditional defensive ends. Uh, Alfred Bryan is a guy who starts at the bull position, which is much like Ohio State's jack position. Uh, Noah Pierre is a guy who starts at the husky spot, which was like Ohio State's bullet from last year. Um, Those two guys have combined for seven tackles for loss and five sacks. Uh, As a team, Indiana doesn't really get after the quarterback very well. They have 17 sacks on the year. That ranks them 10th in the conference. They also haven't really taken the ball away all that much. They have six picks, but that ranks them only 12th in the Big Ten. They have a handful of forced fumbles, but not really doing a ton in terms of forcing takeaways, which is kind of unaccustomed to what we've seen from uh, Tom Allen's defensive units. Usually they're very aggressive, force a ton of turnovers. They just really haven't done that all that well this season. And, you know, you look at this defense, it has a handful of playmakers across the board, but as a collective, this unit just really hasn't fared well. I like a lot of the guys on this team. You know, I like guys like Mullen and Williams. I like Desan McCullough a lot as a player. These are all guys who would probably get playing time at Ohio State, if not start at some positions. But for whatever reason, things just haven't clicked for the Hoosiers on that side of the ball. Um, I talked about the Buckeyes needing some things to work on with their offense, and I, I think that you know, based on what Indiana's been going through this year, this should be a game where Ohio State is able to do that. Yeah, you would hope so, right? And you think back to the year 2020 with this Indiana team. You mentioned Micah McFadden. He was one of my favorite guys in the Big Ten to watch play. Just a great linebacker all over the field, uh, tremendous blitzer could pick up guys in coverage, obviously a tackle machine. It, you know, his loss was a big one. But then even that that same year, T1 Mullen was an All-American. Um, the other, gosh, his name, sorry, Devin Matthews, I believe, got uh, all Big Ten votes in the same year. So a, a really great performance from that unit. They've since gone through two defensive coordinators. They had a one-and-done guy in 2021. And then we will see with Chad Wilt. He is this year's new defensive coordinator. Problems all across the board. You mentioned, you know, their inability to stop the pass. You would think with the experience and talent they have back there, that would be the stronger of the two units. But it's been quite the opposite. You know, up front, they're not bad against the run, really. They've got um, Demarcus Elliott and I am not going to bother with this guy's name. C-O-N. Uh, I don't want to butcher it. I think that's disrespectful because I've got no clue. C-O-N, they, they're solid against the run, but they do not offer a pass rushing element to their game. That's what they get from McCullough and Bryant and even Pierre, who you mentioned. So um, if Ohio State is going to get the run game going again this week, I would say it's a little bit better matchup than that of Northwestern. But the the stats might tell you otherwise. But I, I still think they can get it done, especially with Indiana being down their best linebacker for the last couple of games. So, um, again, the defensive line, though, McCullough, crazy talent, 38 tackles and four sacks as a true freshman. He'll probably be at Notre Dame next year. <laughs> I, I say that in jest, but not really. At linebacker, similarly bad luck to wide receiver, right? They lost Cam Jones after five games and he was leading or among the big 10 leaders in tackles 
at the time. But Aaron Casey is a tackle for Lost Machine. He has nine in nine games. And Bradley Jennings Jr. is a guy that I'm writing about this week as the defensive player to watch. He's filled in pretty admirably. He had quite a bit of experience at Miami, up and down, experienced some uh, some you know benchings or injuries, just sort of in and out of the lineup. But he's played really well over the last month since he has filled in. Uh, I wouldn't put that duo up against an Iowa or Penn State, but they can play a little bit. So uh, it'll definitely be interesting up front, but I think Ohio State is going to be motivated to run the ball again. And in the secondary, uh, I, I think we both have to say that I use – that's I use most disappointing unit thus far in the season, right? Just because they have quite a bit of experience and talent back there. I mentioned Mullen was an All-American in 2020. He just has not rediscovered that same form. Same thing with Devin Matthews, who got the Big Ten votes. He has been, I would say, consistent, but not making many plays. You alluded to the low interception number, not a ton of pass breakups like we saw with the Penn State secondary. You know, they had upwards of 50 if I did do the quick math on IU, they're probably somewhere around 30. So just not active enough stopping the pass and getting teams off the field on long third downs, long uh, long situations. So the safety sort of duo that they have, though, again, experienced. You've got Brian Fitzgerald and, gosh, the other kid. I, I keep uh, missing the name here. Both about 40 tackles apiece. They're starting uh, corners. I'm sorry, just Mullen starting safeties and then Pierre it's kind of tricky with the position he plays I will lump him in with a DB all of those guys are in the top eight in tackles for this team so whether they are the last line of defense or good in run support we'll see up close and personal this Saturday but if Ohio State is going to throw the ball as long as the wind and everything cooperates it is going to be in the 40s uh, a bit chilly here in Columbus, but as long as that does not have an adverse effect on C.J. Stroud and company, Indiana is giving up 264 yards per game, ranked number 108 in FBS. So I, I think Ohio State can definitely move the ball on them. It's a matter of whether or not they really want to pound the run and reestablish that or just lean on C.J. Stroud and company because of the issues Iowa has had in the secondary. I'm interested to see what they go with, but um, I, if I had to compare recent teams, I think that this IU defense is probably somewhere between a Northwestern and a Penn State. They've probably got more talent, or it's not even a probable. They have more talent than that Northwestern defense, but things just have not gelled under their new defensive coordinator. So uh, I anticipate some points this weekend. Yeah, same here. I, I think, you know, Ohio State, obviously, returning back home should be nicer weather. It might be a little chilly, but the wind should hopefully be more reasonable than what it was in Evanston. Um, I think Ryan Day has heard a lot of the doubters these last few weeks, especially. I think they're going to look to get back to a, a more balanced offensive attack. You know, he talked a little bit about this week, Ryan Day, in his press conference about how, you know, they, they saw what, what C.J. Stroud could do with his feet and how it makes defenses adjust. So maybe they at least throw, you know, one or two more of those plays into the playbook just to try to, like, open up that run game a little bit. Maybe not, you know, they're not going to force C.J. Stroud to run the ball 10, 15 times a game, but just make other teams adjust for it all. And be interested to see if they 
continue to do that. I think it's more worthwhile to sprinkle that in throughout the year rather than just save it for, you know, maybe one big play against Michigan. If that's what your your end goal was, I think it's more worthwhile to kind of pepper that in as you go and at least put it on film and make people think about it. And, you know, we saw, like we said last week, the the safeties having to at least think about CJ Stroud as, as a run threat definitely changed things in the run game late against Northwestern. So I'll be interested to see if they continue to do that in this game. But I do think we see more of a balanced attack from Ohio State. I'm expecting a big bounce back game from CJ Stroud and, and those receivers. You know, we they had the win, they had the drops. It was a tough week for that offense overall, pretty much across the board. So hopefully they can get things righted this weekend. I'm going to get right into my prediction here. That all being said, um, I just don't think Indiana has a ton they could do in this game to really challenge Ohio State. They're not the same, you know, high energy, high attacking defense that we saw when, you know, Justin Fields had a, a tough time against them a couple years ago. Um, I don't think they're going to force CJ Stroud into a ton of mistakes. Um, I, I think Ohio State's offense, like I said, is going to get back into into form here a little bit. I'm going with a a 49 to 10 Ohio State win. The Vegas line has this game at a, around 40 points, and I'm about there as well. I, I just don't see how without really any sort of ground game, especially how this Indiana team is going to put up points. And then their defense, like you said, just hasn't really gelled. And I know that they have some guys, they have some playmakers. Maybe they do record a pick in this game or something, a sack fumble or whatnot. But um, I just don't really think they have enough to hold Ohio State down. I don't think Ohio State quite quite crosses the the 50-point mark, but they get pretty darn close here. Not surprisingly, we will be close, but a a 40-point spread is a little rich for my taste. So, excuse me. I'm more in the 45 to 17 range. I think Ohio State looks good on offense, but they do not need to necessarily dig into the bag of tricks um, or do a whole lot. I think they lead comfortably throughout. So 45 points, I'm with you. I don't think they cross 50 unless for whatever reason Ryan Day wants to play his starters into the fourth quarter, which we have seen before. And to Connor Bazelak's credit, um, you know, it, Provided he is back and he's the starter and plays the majority of the game this weekend, I just <clears throat> I think he can move the ball enough. I know that Indiana doesn't run the ball particularly well, but they have experienced running back. So all you need is you know a hole here, a cut there to maybe bust a big play. I, I can see Indiana putting a couple touchdowns on the board, so I feel pretty comfortable with that 45 to 17 prediction. Yeah, just looking ahead at this this Saturday in general, this is a week where you know maybe Ohio State gets up to a big halftime lead. Um, go out and do stuff on Saturday. This is not a a particularly good <laughs> uh, college football slate. You know, this is a game Ohio State is expected to win by a bunch of points. Hopefully, they can they could do that earlier than the second half as they've been doing to us the last couple of weeks um, because there really is just not a, a ton of good football on this slate. You know, the fact that Ohio State Indiana is the big noon football game tells you pretty much all you need to know. Um, I believe the only other ranked matchups on the schedule this weekend are uh, TCU against a three-loss Texas team, which, uh, you know, I guess that could be interesting. TCU obviously needing to probably remain undefeated in order to make the college football playoff. And then you have um, UNC Wake Forest as 17 versus 21. So not a ton of really highly anticipated matchups this week, not a ton else going on in the afternoon and evening slate. So um, if you're going to have to, you know, you, you, maybe maybe you got to you want to go out and do some some fall activities with the with the family and whatnot. Um, this is this is probably the weekend to do it. Well, let me throw a slight curveball at you, Gene. What do you think about Alabama Ole Miss? I know that it doesn't have, you know, sort of the same uh, implications that it did as of this time a week ago. But any chance, because Alabama has to travel to the Grove, play Lane Kiffin at Old Miss, any chance Alabama racks up a third loss? 
I did somehow miss that in my ranked games. That is six versus 11. So I guess that is somewhat intriguing. If you don't have other things to do, I guess that's worthwhile to watch at 330. But I just don't, now that Bama has two losses, I just don't really care anymore. Like, it could be a fun game. Alabama's favored here as I'm looking by around, you know, 12 to 14 points, depending on your book. Um, and I don't know. I don't, I don't really, I don't, can't say I've watched a ton of Ole Miss football this year. They are eight and one. Um, but I don't know. I feel like this is a game that, that Alabama probably wins, especially coming off a loss here. They're probably going to be pretty mad. They know that even to have you know any sort of chance at all to make the college football playoff, they do need to win out and, and do it convincingly. Um, so I'm sure Nick Saban will have his team ready for this one. I just don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know. I haven't, I haven't watched a ton of Ole Miss. Maybe they give them trouble there. They are at home, like you said. Um, but I'm just, you know, now that Alabama has two losses, I just don't really, they don't have as much intrigue to me as they once did this year. Usually I have a rooting interest against them, but you're right. That that part of it does sort of suck a little bit, right? They We can't root for the bad guy because they're already down. Do we want to kick them while they are there? But Well, we do want to do that. I just don't know if Ole Miss can do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if they finish 7-5, and five, I'll, I'll take that. I'll take a couple of their recruits as well. But I don't know. In Lane, I trust. I'll say that Ole Miss actually pulls this one off. I know Alabama's favored by a couple scores, but the Grove is not an easy place to play. And Lane Kiffin is certainly capable of anything, um, good, bad, or otherwise. So yeah, why the heck not? I think Ole Miss pulls it off. I think this is a good transition to kind of one of our, our few remaining topics here before we get out of here for the week. Um, we are once again recording on a Tuesday ahead of the official announcement of the college football playoff. Um, Josh, unlike last week where, you know, we, we had our guests, we both had um, Michigan in the initial top four rankings, and, you know, we were right. The committee was just wrong in the rankings they put out. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Clemson should not have been number four. They proved that this week. We both had Michigan at number four. Um, I imagine Michigan will be in the top four this week um, with the events that happened last weekend. So I guess before we get out of here, uh, maybe one more thing to talk about before this, but I did want to get our, our predictions here. They, this will be coming out after they have already been announced. We will already be right or wrong. Uh, but I think unlike the first weekend, we have a little clearer picture of what it should be this week. I would be surprised um, if it weren't. Um, I have it as, as Georgia 1, Ohio State 2, Michigan 3, and TCU 4. Um, and I would be a bit surprised if it isn't that. You know, maybe I, I don't think they'd flip Michigan over Ohio State because they didn't look all too dominant against Rutgers, even though the final score was good. But I don't even really care about that because those two teams obviously have to play each other anyway. So that doesn't really matter to me. Honestly, putting Ohio State behind Michigan would just give them more fire. So I almost want the committee to do it. Uh, but I would be pretty surprised if those aren't the four teams that we see in the top four on on Tuesday night. No argument here. But for the sake of argument, I don't know. I feel like maybe I think that Northwestern game could impact some of the voters. Uh, a few of the people that determine this whole thing. So I'll actually go ahead and say that uh, I think the committee is going to flip Ohio State and Michigan, maybe just for this week. Maybe we see some jostling back and forth, but <clears throat> Michigan also plays Illinois next weekend. And if they look good against another ranked team, maybe they deserve to be at that number two spot going into the big matchup or what we assume is going to be the big matchup. So I actually don't know how much I believe this, but for the sake of argument, I could see Michigan jumping up to number two behind Georgia. And then I've got no argument again on the top four. TCU has clearly earned their spot. Uh, they should absolutely come in at number four now as an undefeated team. And they have some good wins on their resume. So 
Gosh, I, I don't like to do it, but give me the Wolverines at number two in my prediction. How do you like that? Is there any chance that we see Tennessee stay in the top four? We know the committee obviously likes them. They had them at number one last week. They did just lose to the team that was you know previously listed in the top four as well. So it's not like they took a bad loss. Is there any chance that the committee, you know, a little SEC bias in there, something like that, that Tennessee comes in at number four ahead of an undefeated TCU because – um, you know, Tennessee is still clinging on to that win against Alabama, although that also took a hit this weekend. So do you think there's any chance we see the volunteers in the top four still? Yes, small chance. But I think that there is a chance just because, yeah, I mean, they were ranked number one for a reason. And, you know, they, they clearly got their butts handed to them by Georgia. But all of these teams or most of these teams have a bad week. And if you do so against the number two or three or four, or, you know, top 10 ranked team. I think those teams, you know, do sort of get the benefit of the doubt from time to time. And we've seen that the selection committee does not really care about anybody's feelings, right? They just want interest. They want viewers. They want this, that, and the other. So yes, I think that there is a chance Tennessee clings to that number four spot, but I will sort of hedge a little bit by saying that even if they come in at number four now, if TCU remains undefeated, I do. I think that they would jump Tennessee, especially if they win their conference championship game. I think that's pretty obvious, but I think that they would jump Tennessee under that under those circumstances at the end of the regular season, like after 12 games. And then as long as they win, they hang on to it. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on college football playoff. Like I said, you guys will, ha- having heard this, you already know what the, the rankings are. So we're either 100% right or 100% wrong. But like I said last week, you know, we, we were right last week. The committee was wrong. So maybe that's the case once again this week. <laughs> that that should be the top four. We will see what it is. Um, I was going to sprinkle in some Heisman talk here, but I, I don't know if we want to go a, a ton on that. Maybe we save it for next week. Maybe Stroud has a, a, a big performance this week and we're talking more of that. So I think we'll save that for a little bit later. Uh, Josh, do you have anything else you, you want to you wanna add on before we get out of here this week? I don't want to ruin the Heisman talk. I will just say Bo Nix, and I will leave it at that. Bo Nix. All right. That um, is, that is a, I, that's a good teaser. A guy to keep an eye on, but um, I look, I love what C.J. Stroud is doing. I don't think the Northwestern game will be held against him. And moving past that, let's just flip the script. Let's put up a, a 50 or a 60 spot on this IU team. Weather be damned. I just hope that Ohio State gets back on the right track, and I believe that they will. Yeah, it'd be nice to have a, a stress-free Saturday for the first time in you know three weeks now. The Penn State game obviously was expected to be what it was. Northwestern, not so much. But coming into this week, weather shouldn't be, you know, according to the current for- forecast in Columbus, weather shouldn't be much of a factor. As we've, you know, kind of laid out this Indiana team not playing its best ball, plus their, you know, their their bowl eligibility is pretty much over at this point. So they don't even really have a ton to play for in this game. I know obviously, you know, everyone wants to come to Columbus and play spoiler against Ohio State. I just don't know if if this Indiana team has the has the the collective unit to, to get that done, especially with how, you know, Ohio State knows it has to play the remainder of the way. So um, be sure to check out all of our written content leading into this game over at LandGrantHolyLand.com. We also, of course, have 
um, all of our basketball coverage coming up. Well, you know, after the season's over, Josh and I will kind of jump back into more of the basketball stuff. We're pretty locked in on football right now, but Ohio State is coming off its first, you know, men's basketball game. They have their first women's game tonight as we're recording this on Tuesday. So there will be more basketball content coming down the pipe. Be sure to check out, you know, our written stuff and as well as the Bucketheads podcast for more on that. Um, be sure to like, rate, view, subscribe, all that good stuff podcast asks you to do. And for Josh Julie, I am Gene Ross. And as always, go Bucks.